Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. If you're outraged about the uh, Supreme Court's decision on abortion and they're setting up overturning your right to contraception, gay marriage and uh, and the legal the legal right for people to have sex with whoever they want, legal, you know, adults, basically Lawrence v. Texas, which uncriminalized gay sex in Texas. If you're uh, outraged about the assault on those or yesterday's assault on your right, if you live in in seven states, on states' rights, basically, a Tenth Amendment case, your right to live free of gun violence. I'm warning you, I wrote an op-ed about this a week and a half ago, as I recall. The uh, West Virginia case is called West Virginia versus EPA, is probably going to come down on Monday. And I'm expecting that that case is going to kill the Environmental Protection Agency. So get ready. There's, there's, there's worse to come, or more to come, let's say. I don't, I don't know about worse, but there's more to come. Okay, we're picking up your calls in our national town hall meeting here, our town square. Steve in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's up? First of all, thank you for providing a nationwide town square. There are so many depressed and angry and scared people right now. It's really amazing. And I'll start with one thing that's not on the abortion topic, although that's my main topic, which is I'm here in Florida, where I grew up. It hasn't rained at all in the month of June, and we have temperatures in the 90s and humidity like the desert southwest. We are in hard climate change right now. Oh, really? You're in a drought? Not just a drought, but we have desert southwest humidity and, and temperatures. Oh, that's amazing. And you're in St. Petersburg. And you see, you're up, uh, St. Petersburg is in the north part of the state, right? No, sir. It is just to the uh, west of Tampa on the coast. Oh, okay. And, and if I'm remembering my, I, I, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time in Florida, but I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near as, my wife lived there actually as a child, but I, she knows the state well, I don't. Um, but my recollection is that most of Florida pretty much does not have access to water. That, you know, you get your water from the Everglades or, I mean, what's, because you can't drill into these old limestone formations, or can you? How, how do you guys get water? Well, they do have the Florida Aquifer, which is being depleted and polluted at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, there's, you're right, 
tropical climate where every day in the summer it rained about an inch at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You could set your watch by it. Not anymore. Huh. Interesting. Climate change is here. We only get rain if it comes in with a tropical depression. It's, it, everything's dying. It's sad. Wow. Wow. And that goes along with Roe v. Wade. And let me just say, the thing with Roe v. Wade is, and you know this from studying, like, Buddhism, etc., um, being born isn't universally seen as a blessing by all religions. And one thing is for sure, as soon as you're born in, in the Christian tradition, you become a sinner. A fetus is innocent. I don't understand why Alito and these other so-called Christians want to force an innocent thing to be born to be another sinner. Now, as far as ecology goes, our species has already exceeded carrying capacity, and every new human born is one more nail in the coffin of the biosphere. This ruling is is gestation slavery for women. It's a field day for rapists and incestors, and it helps to destroy the planet. Yeah, and it's not going to stop abortions. It's just going to drive them underground. Uh, you know, no, yeah. no legislation has ever stopped abortion. It's just going to cause women to die. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's going to make it. I mean, why? The nature gave women 99% of the reproductive burden. All a man has to do is drop some sperm. Women are already are already burdened by nature. Why do these people want women to suffer so much? Because they do not. And this is one of the features, uh, and it is a feature, not a bug, of fascist systems. Is is the is the essentially the male domination of women because fascism relies on violence and violence is is heavily associated with testosterone i mean you know look at the the number of women who commit murders is like under under two percent i believe um right. you know, the number of women who commit armed robberies is probably under five percent um this these things these kinds of crimes these this kind of violence that is violence in general is associated with testosterone in men and men and that's why fascism in general is a male driven movement and what we are seeing is you know we're approaching peak fascism here in the united states and we're seeing this fascist movement and one key part of it is is you know buttoning down women putting putting women under your thumb putting women under control and that's what this decision is all about today it's about giving the men in the, in the red states, the Republican-controlled states, the fascist states, the power to control their women. And uh, a power so that right they feel like they lost in this, the 70s. You have a million other callers. Governor DeSatan has already said, you just wait and see. I'll make sure abortion is totally illegal in Florida as soon as I can. Yeah, well, he's going to, and no doubt he will do it. Steve, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. And, and uh, Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hey, Tom. Um, I was going to talk about gas. I just want to say something quickly about uh, abortion, can mm -hmm. I? Sure. Is it, is it a religious or a scientific thing that they're basing this on? Because if it's religious, then they have to stop killing cows on behalf of the, hum of the Hindus. Yeah. Um, it is, it, you know, they're, they're not making a decision. Uh, what the Supreme Court has said basically is we're not deciding whether abortion should be legal or illegal. We're going to allow the states to decide that. And so, right. and that, you know, uh -huh. I, obviously, you know, you've got, what, seven Catholics on the court. And, uh, you know, and the Catholic Church has been the largest agitator on this issue for years and for, for better, part of, right. better part of a century. And yeah, well, we should, so, uh -huh. go ahead. We should have 26 judges 
to match the number of uh, uh, districts there are. Because there are always two for each uh, federal district in the beginning. That's why there were six in the beginning. There were three federals. Now there's 13, including Maine. But about the gas tax, mm-hmm. I mean about gas, the w- one way they could bring down the cost is there's $52 billion in subsidies to the oil company. If they get this windfall taxing, that's $40 billion. And if they get the oil companies to pay the 15% corporate tax, that's $31 billion. That's $123 billion divided by 220 million people with driver's license equals $560 um, a year. People spend annually 2000 so that brings it down to the gas from five to three sixty. If they should happen to do this uh, tax uh, holiday f- or something, fee and rebate, yeah, another, or tax and rebate, right? So the money's there; they just have to claim it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, well, between those three, three things, that's one hundred twenty-three billion dollars sitting in the oil. I think uh, they all they have to do is appropriate it and, and and raise the taxes. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying, Bill. Bill, thank you, uh, Ron in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Ron, what's up? Yeah, I, I've got three points. That if I was running for office for a Democratic Party, from the lowest dog catcher up to the president, one. The courts have ruled that because of gerrymandering and voter suppression that have laws that they have allowed to stand, that if you win the election one time, you can cook the books for generations. Number two, they have made it impossible or or very much more difficult for states to uh, protect uh, their citizens from from, gun violence by reasonable gun restrictions. And three, uh, they have also said that the states can interfere at the same time in the rights of a woman to control her own uterus. Why don't the Democrats package that and run on it for the next two? How come they never package something like that? Yeah, I if they don't, it's uh, it's criminal malfeasance, criminal political malfeasance. Uh, but but I, you know, I think that's absolutely what's going to be happening is that the Democrats are going to be and, and they already are. I mean, Joe Biden, the president, you heard him. He came out and he said, you know, what's the number one solution to this vote? Right. Get out to the polls. So, yeah, we I mean, this, this spot on. You know, you are absolutely right, Ron. And it needs to be done. We need to get active. No more time. The time is now. Fill in cliche of your choice. We'll be right back. This outrageous day as we're learning more about the criminality of Donald Trump and and we're seeing the rights of women evaporate. My uh, op-ed today is about Stop the Steal. I'll just uh, fill you in very quickly on that. It's about how Stop the Steal didn't start in 2020. It really started 20 years before that in 2000. Roger Stone was the guy behind the Brooks Brothers riot, which used violence and intimidation to shut down the vote count in Miami-Dade County, and they were successful. And then the Supreme Court picked that up from there, and five Republican nominees on the Supreme Court, or appointees on the Supreme Court, buddies of George Herbert Walker Bush, ruled in favor of his son, George W. Bush, that in the state his brother was running, Jeb Bush, Florida, that they were going to overrule the U.S. Supreme Court, or the uh, Florida Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, and hand the election to to George W. Bush. Um, And also, Donald Trump had planned, and Roger Stone had planned, to stop the steel program for 2016. 
They had a website, stopthesteal.org. I've got links to it and, and copy from it. On It's no longer up, but the, the Wayback Machine, the Internet Archive, has it. And, I mean, it's just incredible. This, this, is a, this was a 20-year project that culminated in Donald Trump trying to overthrow the election of 2020, run by Republicans. And when you add that to Richard Nixon committing treason to become president in 68 and Ronald Reagan committing treason to become president in 1980, it tells you a lot about what Republicans are willing to do to hold the White House. Why do, why do they want to hold the White House? Why is that so important? Why are the billionaires who fund them so enthusiastic about this? Well, because once you get the White House, you get to appoint people to the Supreme Court. I mean, just look at what's happened today. So you can read that over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Stop the Steal Didn't Start in 2020. It was 20 years in the making. But it's kind of overshadowed by this, by this, uh, by this decision by today's uh, Supreme Court, uh, which is absolutely breathtaking. So all that said, let's pick up your phone calls and, and talk about what we're seeing, what, you know, and what your thoughts are on it. Clay in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Hey, Clay, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, boy, they they don't they don't like Sharia law, but you know this is what they have now. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to see every woman that's forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term to sue the lawmakers that made that happen for uh, unnecessary pain and suffering, medical costs, mental physical damage, etc. You can't do that really because of uh, this doctrine of sovereign immunity that says you can't sue lawmakers or uh, people in government who are carrying out things that are part of the law. Um, but I, 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 I share your, your sentiment, Clay. I absolutely do. Uh, Clay, thank you for the call. Let me just uh, add one note to this, and we've got to hit a break. Um, and that is that there are things that we can do. And I think it's really important that we not you know, fall into despair or freak out around this, there are things we can do. Number one, if we can get two more Democratic senators and suspend the filibuster, we can put Roe v. Wade into law, assuming that we can hold the House. So the ability, I mean, this, the entire election, everybody's saying, oh, the election of 2022, this November is going to be all about the economy. No, it's going to be about abortion, gay marriage, interracial marriage, the right to concept, to uh, contraception, all of those things are on the chopping block right now. Congress can pass laws cementing all of those rights. But we've got to get two more Democratic senators, suspend the filibuster, restore our voting rights. I mean, there's so much that can be done. So number one, we've all got to redouble our commitment to getting Democrats elected this fall, period. Even, even weak Democrats, even sleazy Democrats, I don't care. We've got to maintain control of the House and Senate, number one. Number two, Joe Biden can issue an executive order saying that federal property and, and the, the red states that are the most hysterical about all this stuff are the ones where you've got some of the largest military bases in the country, that federal property is exempt from state law when it comes to abortion. And, and then his executive order could direct the Department of Defense to lease property on military bases to abortion clinics. 
And number three, you know, we need to do everything we can to support those organizations that are working to support women who are now in states, who are now in the handmade states, the Republican handmade states where they cannot get an abortion. So, I, you know, it's not like we're without agency. It's not like there's nothing we can do. It's not like, you know, we're doomed and this is the final fascist takeover of America. That may be true if we lose the House and Senate this fall, <laughs> but it's not true right now. So, you know, the way I end my show every day, get out there, get active, tag, your it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. Stan in Amboy, Washington. Hey, Stan, thanks Thanks for calling. What's up? Hi, Tom. I was just had kind of an idea, like, if you got three real prominent authors. Well, first of all, it's about uh, global warming, mm -hmm. and it scares me to death. I think it it's bigger than any of the other stuff, like abortion rights and all that. But I hate that, too. The Supreme Court's bad news. Um, like, if you got, like, Margaret Atwood and Stephen King and... Cormac McCarthy and all had him write a book that was just scarier than anything, you know, maybe it would change some minds. About climate change? Yeah. I, th I think you know, it's... Have it end it's, really bad. It's knocking know? on our door right now. I mean, I, you know, we had a caller earlier who said that Florida is now like the uh, the desert southwest. Oh, We've got... Uh, we had 116 degree weather here last summer. It's going to be 100 degrees this weekend here in Oregon, which is something that just doesn't happen. You're saying 100? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and it's spread in the crane. It's already spread across the country. I don't think it's going to take a novel. I think what's happening is that the changes to our weather patterns are happening so rapidly 
that it's getting harder and harder and harder for the, the liars who are uh, the hired guns of the fossil fuel industry, uh, particularly those in Congress, to continue denying this. You know, eventually they're going to have to reach the point where they say, okay, you know, we get it. This is not the way it should be. Uh, we need to well, do but something. eventually, you know, eventually might be five years, which I, I believe will be way too late. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Stan, thank you. I don't disagree. Ray in Worcester, Mass. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hi, Tom. How are you doing? I'm well. What's on your mind? So I am from Massachusetts, and I woke up to the Roe versus Wade uh, decision, plus yesterday the guns uh, decision. I'm like, okay, is there any solace for the state of Massachusetts? I love my AG, uh, Maura Healy. She says she's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that things stay in place, but I am so concerned for my state. And it makes me wonder, with me and my wife's decision of leaving this country, is that like a real solid solution? It's probably not, because most other countries in the world won't take us, Ray. But let me ask you a question. Uh, you always said that as a developed country, we don't have universal health care and other subsidies that other countries have. So how is this a, not a solid mind decision? Like, if I go to a country that does have universal health care, and when I retire, that I could actually put my kids through college, because some countries do have universal college. Every other developed country in the world has, has essentially free college, in some cases they pay a subsidy. But here's the problem, Ray. You might be able to get a permit to live in another country for a period of time, but you're going to have to you're gonna have to show that you have a job. I mean, it's like getting a green card here in the United no, no, States. No, 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 no. So my thing is, like I said, I'll retire in two years. Mm -hmm. That means I'll collect a retirement until I'm dead. Oh, well, there's a bunch of countries that will be very happy to host you then. I mean, particularly in Central exactly, America. Exactly, you know, exactly. Costa Rica. Yeah. So we were thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you bring I enough money, so they'll welcome you with open arms. Right. A, a friend of mine has essentially retired to Mexico. He comes up to Michigan uh, two or three months out of the year to essentially maintain his citizenship or meet some sort of a requirement yes, that Mexico so that's has. What I'm my thing is I fear for my girls growing up in this country where I, they're taking away rights. Yeah. And in some states, they're saying, interracial marriage might not even be legal. I'm That's like, right. oh, wow. Yep, yep. It's a, it's, it, the world is getting wild here. Ray, thank you for the call. Welcome back to the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Robert Wright's brilliant new book, Why Buddhism is True, the Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. This is from the first chapter, which is titled Taking the Red Pill. We're on page three. He's talking about the movie The Matrix, I saw The Matrix in 1999, right after it came out, and some months later I learned I had a kind of connection to it. The movie's director, the Wachowski siblings, had given Keanu Reeves three books to read in preparation for playing Neo. One of them was a book I had written a few years earlier, The Moral Animal, Evolutionary Psychology and Everyday Life. I'm not sure what kind of link the director saw between my book and The Matrix, but I know what kind of link I see. Evolutionary psychiatry can be described in various ways, and here's one way I had described it in my book. It is the study of how the human brain was designed by natural selection to mislead us and even enslave us. Don't get me wrong, natural selection has its virtues, and I'd rather be created by it than not be created at all, which, so far as I can tell, are the only two options this universe offers. Being a product of evolution is by no means entirely a story of enslavement and delusion. Our evolved brains empower us in many ways, and they often bless us with a basically accurate view of reality. Still, ultimately, natural selection cares about only one thing, or I should say, 
cares in quotes about only one thing, since natural selection is just a blind process, not a conscious designer. And that one thing is getting genes into the next generation. Genetically-based traits that in the past contributed to genetic proliferation have flourished, while traits that haven't have fallen by the wayside. And the traits that have survived this test include mental traits, structures and algorithms that are built into the brain and shape our everyday experience. So if you ask the question, what kinds of perceptions and thoughts and feelings guide us through life every day? The answer at the most basic level is not the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that give us an accurate picture of reality. No, at the most basic level, the answer is the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that helped our ancestors get genes into the next generation. Whether those thoughts and feelings and perceptions give us a true view of reality is, strictly speaking, beside the point. As a result, they sometimes don't. Our brains are designed to, among other things, delude us. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Some of my happiest moments have come from delusion, believing, for example, that the tooth fairy would pay me a visit after I lost a tooth. But delusion can also produce bad moments, and I don't just mean moments that, in retrospect, are obviously delusional, like horrible nightmares. I also mean moments that you might not think of as delusional, such as lying awake at night with anxiety, or feeling hopeless, even depressed, for days on end, or feeling bursts of hatred toward people. Bursts that may actually feel good for a moment, but slowly corrode your character. Or feeling bursts of hatred toward yourself. Or feeling greedy, feeling a compulsion to buy things, or eat things, or drink things, well beyond the point where your well-being is served. Though these feelings, anxiety, despair, hatred, greed, aren't delusional the way a nightmare is delusional, if you examine them closely, you'll see that they have elements of delusion. Elements you'd be better off without. And if you think you would be better off, imagine how the whole world would be. After all, feelings like despair and hatred and greed can foster wars and atrocities. So if what I'm saying is true, if these basic sources of human suffering and human cruelty are in large part the product of delusion, there is value in exposing this delusion to the light. Sounds logical, right? There's a problem that I started to appreciate shortly after I wrote my book on evolutionary psychology. The exact value of exposing a delusion to the light depends on what kind of light you're talking about. Sometimes understanding the ultimate source of your suffering doesn't by itself help very much. Let's take a simple but fundamental example, eating some junk food, feeling briefly satisfied, and then only minutes later feeling a kind of crash and maybe a hunger for more junk food. This is a good example to start with for two reasons. First, it illustrates how subtle our delusions can be. There's no point in the course of eating a six-pack of small powdered sugar donuts when you're believing that you're the Messiah or that foreign agents are conspiring to assassinate you. That's true of many sources of delusions that I'll discuss in this book. They're more about illusion, about things not being quite what they seem, than about delusion in the more dramatic sense of the word. Still, by the end of the book, I'll have argued that all of these illusions do add up to a very large-scale warping of reality, a disorientation that is as significant and consequential as out-and-out delusion. The second reason junk food is a good example to start is that it's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings. Okay, it can't be literally fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, because 2,500 years ago when the Buddha taught, junk food as we know it didn't exist. What's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, though, is the general dynamic of being powerfully drawn to sensory pleasure that winds up fleeting at best. One of the Buddha's main messages is that the pleasures we seek evaporate quickly and leave us thirsting for more. We spend our time looking for the next gratifying thing, the next powdered sugar donut, the next sexual encounter, the next status-enhancing promotion, the next online purchase. But the thrill always fades, and it always leaves us wanting more. 
the old Rolling Stone lyric, I can't get no satisfaction, is, according to Buddhism, the human condition. Indeed, the Buddha is famous for asserting that life is pervaded by suffering. Some scholars say that's an incomplete rendering of his message, and that the word translated as suffering, dukkha, could, for some purposes, be translated as unsatisfactory. The book is Why Buddhism is True, the Science and Philosophy of Meditation. Robert in New York City. Hey, Robert, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Hey, Tom. Really admire you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Did I hear on Amy Goodman talking about something that squeaked through very hush-hush because of all that's in the press today about the 6-3 to three passage of if you are arrested and they do not read you your Miranda rights, you have no recourse? Correct. I think that's on the edge of a really slippery slope, Tom. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you, Robert. Uh, it's uh, that's more and the Miranda rights have been in law since the '50s, I think. No, no, wait a minute. Maybe it was the '60s or '70s, but it's been a long time. <laughs> I mean, you know, Miranda rights go way, way back. Uh, so. Go ahead. The only other thing I want to, I want, want to mention is because I think that is so frightening. The other thing is the little gifts to the American. Uh, public, uh, the little gift shop that were, anyway, things that come in from other countries and things like that that had been raided and there was no longer a logbook being kept. I've seen that only two things talked about that and they said they found it in such terrible disarray that they did, they didn't, things had been open, pillaged, taken out, children. I, I just want I just want to bring that back out to the face of the public again. Okay. All righty. Thank you, Robert. Kathy in Lansing, Michigan, my my hometown. Hey, Kathy, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, do you remember back when Sparrow and St. Lawrence merged? I didn't. I, frankly, I didn't know that they had. <laughs> Although my I sister-in-law like works 20, at, used to work at Sparrow, so, so I should um, know. Um, St. Lawrence was a Catholic hospital, but right. um, when they merged... It, it, you could not get an abortion at Sparrow. Oh, 17 years ago, right now, at this time, a friend of mine's daughter, Michelle, was pregnant with her third. And everything's going all right, and she goes into Labor Day weekend, and on Sunday, this is her third child. So she knows the drill. She, and the baby... Um, she noticed when she got up on Sunday morning that she was spotting. And she thought about it, and she didn't remember the baby moving on Friday, but the or baby moved on Friday, but she didn't remember it on Saturday. And they did an ultrasound on Tuesday, and they would not perform a way to take this baby with no heartbeat out of her uterus. Right. So she... And her four months more pregnant sister had to drive to the liberal enclave of Grand Rapids, Michigan, to get that taken care of. Wow. Whatever happened to Ingham Medical? Is is that not a hospital, too? They just keep changing the name every few weeks. And um, by the way, to the guy who called about how we buy all this stuff for the mothers and stuff like this, I had a friend that went through this in the spring of 73. Mm -hmm. 
in Traverse City. We're going to buy you a baby crib. We're going to buy a changing table, maternity, baby clothes, all that kind of stuff. As soon as they found out that she just was really looking forward to the adventure of raising this child, they never talked to her again. So, um, Jordan... Um, they're probably taking you for money. Yeah, they're they're all about they're all about stopping abortions, basically. I mean, you know, that's, that's the bottom line. Kathy, thank you, thank you. It's nice to hear from you. Quick math: the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back. Picking up your calls, Jim at Everett, Washington. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Uh, I just wanted to share a story about a conversation, a personal conversation I had with Anthony Kennedy when he was sitting on the Supreme Court. It was, um, I was at a conference and he was one of the keynote speakers, right? And so sat down to lunch and he literally sat down at the table next to me and we started this conversation. And uh, two weeks earlier, he had written the opinion on gay marriage, right? And I said to him, um, I was very much in favor of that. I really admired what he had done and blah, blah, blah. And I said, but the opinion that I really hated was Citizens United. And he said, well, I wrote that one, too. <laughs> I was not aware. I you know, yeah. didn't recall that. Well, he, anyway, he um, part, played a part in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I said to him that, God, you know, that's like devastating to democracy. It, it takes, you know, all the power away from individuals and their vote. And he said his response to that was, well, there is a simple way to address that. And I said, oh, what is that? And his response was regulate. Right. Congress and can said, pass well, laws what, regulating money in politics. Yeah, I said, right, exactly. And I said, but the problem is that it's the Congress that's getting all the money. Why would they regulate away from getting all that money, you know? And it was about that time he decided that his lunch was much more interesting than me, and that was the end of the conversation. But the point was that it just showed what a bubble these guys live in. I mean, he thought that, you know, these the Congress was going to regulate 
uh, the they're on bribery. The, you know, the donation, yeah. right? They're on bribery. <laughs> away, you know. So it was just uh, unbelievable. You but know. see, actually, there was an attempt true. to do that. You know, the bill or the uh, for the people act which passed the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi did an amazing job with that thing, and it got past the House of Representatives and got all the way to the Senate. And if they, you know, if, if uh, Cinema and Manchin had not uh, blown it up, uh, that, that For the People Act actually reversed much of Citizens United. It put limits on, yeah. on dark money. I mean, it was, it was a yeah. huge, a substantial, a meaningful piece of legislation. And mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, which is why all 50 Republicans opposed it, because it would right. have enhanced and strengthened democracy. And these guys are not about democracy. Fascists don't like right. democracy. They, you know, they're right. all about well, minority you know, rule. Right. Uh, my belief is that conservatives have always been against democracy from, you know, the time when the American Revolution you know, the Tories from the days of John Adams. Yes. Right. The Tories were the conservatives. Those were the ones who wanted to keep the king. The Federalists, right? actually. And, you know, John right. Adams, in his correspondence with Jefferson, was going on and on about how women shouldn't vote and people who didn't own land right. shouldn't vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he so was our second they president. They have a long history. Right. They have yeah. a long history of being against democracy. So yeah. I'm with you. Right. Well, thanks, Tom. Yeah. Good talking to you, Jim. Thank you for the call. And thanks for listening to KSER. We'll continue our conversation. It's our... Town Square here, our progressive Town Square, the Tom Hartman program. Whatever you'd like to talk about, obviously, this uh, Roe v. Wade decision is, uh, or Dobbs is at the top. But there is so much going on right now. We'll be right back with your calls. Russell in Long Island, New York. Hey, Russell, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? I'm distressed. But. Okay. I'm, I'm a former municipal attorney, and before that I was a constitutional lawyer from St. John's mm -hmm. Law School in the city. And many of us are hoarse, like that woman that called you a while back and said she'd been crying from the mountaintop for three decades and nobody would listen. This this Republican takeover, if you will, this, this uh, QAnon minority zealot takeover has been going on for decades, as you well know. And and this is a obvious culmination of one one branch of it. What I, I wanted to do two quick points. The first point was, without being a Debbie Downer, I want to remind you that uh, the Marbury case, etc. The Supreme Court can overrule federal law as well as state law. And in fact, in the case of the Voting Rights Act, you see exactly what happens when a federal law with this court, when a federal law purports to impinge on a state regulation. Well, any of the voting stuff now, right. uh, you know, in other words, they used the feds used to pass the law. Congress passed the law and they could overrule the states. Even preemptively, they could do it. They could say you, you have a history of, of suppressing the vote and we're not going to let you do it again. Right. And that's been that's been erased by the Supreme Court. And I could see the same thing happening with abortion when 20 states sue the federal government for some law that purports to tell them they can't. Uh, ban abortion totally, which is what they're doing now. So that was really a preliminary thing. We could argue that all day long about whether the Congress sits down tomorrow and passes a law, whether that's actually going to do anything in the long term. I'm not sure. I doubt it. But here's what I wanted to do. Uh, the reason I was calling. It has to do with democratic strategy. I'm so tired of being on the receiving end of things. And always, you know, in sports, they say the best defense is a good offense. 
This is a perfect example of it. You've got Clarence Thomas, who's now talking out of his head. We used to have a Supreme Court where they didn't issue statements afterwards to explain their decisions. They relied on their decisions. He's out there explaining his crazy decision. What the Democrats should do is that by the end of the day today, they should impeach him. Okay, not on this, not on his crazy law decisions, but on his complete lack of ethics and the fact that he refused. He did not recuse himself in the case involving his wife yep. uh, texting the, the White House and, in fact, was the one vote against it. Yep. Everyone knows that every judge in the United States, whether they have a specific code in their own court or not, is, is really obligated to step away when there is even the appearance of impropriety. What he did was hide the impropriety by uh, continuing to vote. And, and but he's, he's following a long tradition, guys. Russell. I mean, you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Scalia you know, went, went uh, duck hunting with Dick Cheney. And then, and, then, oh, yeah. and then three weeks later, rules in favor of Dick Cheney in the Supreme Court. Sure. But listen, they have they have impeached federal justices. Remember the fellow from Miami who was uh, yeah. But there's only been one serious attempt to impeach a federal judge. That was Chase. That was back in what 1805 or something or whatever. Well, who am I? I'm thinking of the guy whose name I knew an hour ago, but I've forgotten because I'm old. The guy that uh, Hayworth or Hay. There was a guy from the Florida uh, federal courts who got impeached, and then he went and ran for for state office. Right. But he was he was on an appeals court. Right. Okay. Not SCOTUS. But my, 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 my point was this. Before the end of the day, the Democrats, both Judiciary Committees, should announce that they're going to hold hearings on the ethics charges against this man. I agree. He should be impeached. A hundred Democrats should sign that uh, uh, motion for impeachment. And frankly, although I know this won't happen because I think the Republicans won't do it, on the uh, on the one six committee, they should subpoena, uh, what's her name, uh, his wife, Jerry, Ginny. whatever her name, Ginny. They should, they should subpoena her, and if, it, if she doesn't come, they should recommend her for prosecution. They, you have to, between now and November, the Democrats have to be on the offensive, like they are on television this week. I agree. This is what you got to do. Hit back where they don't expect it. Hit hard. Yeah, I, uh, I'm absolutely with you, Russell. I'm absolutely with you. And uh, I, I think that there would be broad support across the country. Uh, what an amazing time we live in. We'll be right back with uh, more of our kind of national town square here where we can all share our opinions. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, Tom. An historically sad day in America, so thanks for the town square. And to begin with, here's a brief overview of the Republican Party. They're anti-vaccine and pro-pandemics. They're anti-science and pro-climate change. They're anti-labor unions and pro-corporate power. They're anti-racial equality and pro-white nationalism. They're anti-LGBTQ plus rights and pro-discrimination. They're anti-reproductive rights and pro-misogyny. They're anti-voting rights and pro-voter suppression and the big lie. And finally, Tom, they're anti-democracy and pro-fascism. So we know who they are. We knew it before this disastrous decision. The question is, are we going to despair and let them get away with it? Or are we going to fight back and take back the country, our country. And that take back has to be at all levels from the grassroots up to the president. 
And to use your expression, it's no time for weak tea. So while we need to organize and agitate on the ground, Tom, we also need President Biden to, as a start, to commit to expanding the court, to keep calling for an assault weapons ban, and to push for a big oil windfall profits tax. And we need Chuck Schumer in the Senate to start bringing these votes, these things up for votes, so the American people can see whose side, that uh, who's on their side. And Bernie himself called for this in a in an op-ed for the Guardian recently. He said it's time to forget this fruitless negotiating with Mansion and Cinema and start calling votes. So what do you say, Tom? Don't you agree we need to draw a distinct contrast between what the Democratic Party stands for versus the GOP? And isn't that crucial to our success, at the very least, our success in November? I do. Uh, you're singing my song, Jeff, as, as you know. And, uh, and you, what a great summary. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Howard in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Howard, what's up? I uh, just wanted to suggest to ask you what did you think about and whether it could possibly be done, probably can't be done, eliminating the Supreme Court and having these kinds of decisions determined by national referendum rather than by the Supreme Court? Because you got a partial, you got a court stacked with judges by the Republican Party, and it's not impartial. It's, you know, it leans far to the right, but if you got what the people wanted, in a, in a national referendum, then you could uh, you know that's what the people actually want. You know, it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like you'd be guessing. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, Howard. There's a couple of different kind of moving pieces to all this. First of all, the Supreme Court is not supposed to. It's not in the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the Supreme Court can either make law or take down law. That's a power that the Supreme Court gave to themselves in 1803, mm-hmm. and then they they, it, they were so. Uh, the country was so horrified that they did that, that they didn't do it again until 1856 with Dred Scott, and then they got burned on that one, and so they didn't do it again until the 1880s. Now, every single decision they do is, we are the lords of the country. Uh, but that's not how it was designed in the beginning, first of all. Secondly, we do have a national referendum every two years. It's, it's the election for, for the House of Representatives. Every single member of the House of Representatives has to stand for re-election every two years. In the Senate, it's every six years, you know, and so every two years you have one-third of the senators. But, but the House is that national referendum. And third, to do what you're proposing would require a constitutional amendment, so it's not going to happen. Well, I, I didn't think it would happen, actually, but I, I was just thinking that it makes more sense than what we got. You said that the, 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 that the court got additional power, you gave the 1803 and so forth. You forgot about the 2000 when they put... Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, they used that power to put George Bush in the White House. Absolutely. All right. I I get your frustration and I share it. And 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 I think that, you know, your idea, your solutions are it's great. I mean, keep thinking. Uh, And and we do have that referendum coming up in in five months here in in November. And and we've got to show up. But they say we're going to lose it. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think the tide is turning. I could be wrong, but my sense of it is the tide is turning. Howard, thank you for the call. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, your thoughts? You see, Donald Trump doesn't have to come back, Tom. Donald Trump never left. And don't you think he doesn't understand this? When he appointed Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett to the court, that was his way of making sure that he stayed politically immortal and he was going to have influence. Further, let me tell you something. I don't think he's going to run in 2024 because what Donald Trump did was he shifted the paradigm 
uh, for the Republican Party so drastically and violently uh, in the crazy direction that it is, is that what what we're going to get is, you know, there's talk of a DeSantis, Trump Jr. ticket. Uh, you, you, you got uh, Cotton, uh, Chris Christie, Mike Pence may run in the primary. But the point is that I'm trying to make is that they're all going to be varying different versions of the same thing. What Donald Trump did was show that, you know, the things that have always uh, been been uh, influential in this country, particularly racism, sexism, those things were winning tickets. And these folks are going to look differently. You know, right now, Democrats think wistfully upon uh, Mitt Romney. Wistfully, they think about even George Bush, because Donald Trump was such a weirdo. He was so crazy, and he took the party in that direction. And so I think that uh, what people aren't understanding is that this is Trump's way of saying, I'm still here. And he never left office, Tom. I'm sorry. He didn't. And the proof of it was not only today, but yesterday. When you take this domestic turmoil and add into it the, the seismic events we have internationally right now and the confrontations to come to the United States internationally. Let me tell you something. This does not look good, my friend. Yeah, I agree. New York City is going to be a very different place when 5% of the population is packing heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and then throw into the fact, and I mentioned this to you uh, not long ago, that we're looking at 1st of July, a longshoreman strike on uh, what 44% of the goods coming on the West Coast coming into the country. Um, we've all, you know, I went to the store a couple of days ago, and there was actually a section in where they're normally frozen foods like, you know, Tucker Carlson, Swanson dinners. It was completely empty. Not that I wanted one of the Carlson's dinners. That's my point. It was completely empty. Where there's a infant formula, uh, oddly enough, when we're talking about abortion, uh, well, these women are going to have these kids. What are you going to feed them? I'm sorry. Um, when you, you had spoken earlier, are we going to go back to the 1920s? Look at the rhetoric. You know, you know, and I know as a, as a wordsmith, you're familiar with subliminal cueing. Look at the words that, that politicians constantly use. We're going to take America back, right. uh, build back better. We never talk about moving ahead, and I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. Very well said. Kenyatta, thank you. Thank you for the call. It's always nice to hear from you. Yep. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz. Yeah, Roe v. Wade was stricken down. We now have blanket open carry. A church and state erosion and religious funding, which unconstitutionally contradicts the First Amendment. Look, in a single week, the court has pitched the U.S. back into the dark ages. In a single week, Tom, we may as well say the year is 2022 B.C. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say we're back to 1920. They took us back 100 years. 
They took us, oh at gosh. least they took us back to 1936 before the court changed back in the, the Lochner court era. I, I'm with you, Chaz. And, and, you know, the question is, what are we going to do about it? And obviously it's going to take some substantial Democratic majorities in the House and Senate and in individual state houses and senates and assemblies and whatever they may be called um, to to uh, reverse this. But the Republican era, I think, has run its course. It, they have shown their hand. They have shown us how how ugly and and angry and and hateful and filled with violence they are. And this it's this one uh, thing. Go ahead. Yeah, it's one thing to have lived to witness this god time i hope that you and i are still alive when we see that it has run its course i i yeah i, I think the next couple of years are going to be decisive and, and i'm i'm actually getting more optimistic as time goes by um the worse things are the more i think it's it's likely that you're going to see a lot of people show up and vote that's certainly what happened always, you know in in 2020 people were sick and tired of donald darkest, trump always darkest just before the dawn amen amen Thank you, Chaz. Always nice to hear from you, Michael, in Pensacola, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's up? Yeah, hey, Tom. I was going to ask you about the um, electoral college and how unfair it is that we're ruled by the minority and it never changes. As do you think there could be possibly exceptions to that, where every X amount of elections you could trade off and have the popular vote win and and we can have the popular vote right win. Now you're having minority rule everything. Right. It, it takes 270 electoral votes to um, to put somebody in in the White House. When enough states have signed the interstate compact, and the website is nationalpopularvote.com, when enough states have signed that interstate compact, then we will have ended the electoral college. We're right now at, as I recall, 175 votes or 195 votes, something like that. We've got a ways to go, but there are some large states that I think it's possible. Uh, again, that that could be the kind of thing that swings on the election coming this fall. But I'm, yes, I'm with you, and even, Like I said, even if it's a half measure where sometimes they get there. Well, that's not going to happen. It's going to be all or nothing. Either the Electoral College is going to be replaced by the Interstate Compact nationalpopularvote.com, sign up, you know, f check out your state and see if your state has joined. Uh, Oregon has. I, I don't know. I'm quite sure Florida has not. But y you never know. Um, you yeah, never I, know. I mean, you know, it's uh, you made it, You might have some Democrats elected this year. Michael, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. James in Seattle. Hey, James, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, this idea that life at conception is a religious belief is nonsense. It's a materialism. The Bible is based on a spirit which is free, the power of God, and your uh, sovereignty with God. So with that, um, Paul says that the, uh, the flesh counts for nothing. So this idea that, you know, an egg and, and the sperm get together and makes conception, that, this is nonsense. No, I think it's biology, isn't color. it? Yeah, that is biology, and it's 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 flesh. It's not spirit, which is what the Bible is really about. And there's much more to this, Tom, because uh, the reason these people are, are anti-abortionists is because they want to make they want to create generational poverty, and that's an act of evil to do that. And in Romans three eight, you're not allowed to be associated or directly do any action that is evil. You're not allowed. Yeah. 
I, so I, these people, it doesn't matter what your religious belief is. Yeah, and and you know, if you actually read the Bible, you discover that probably the the biggest abortionist in history was God, and you know, it's not unusual that people prayed that the children of their or the fetuses of their opponents would be aborted in their mother's wombs, and you know, and, and God committed a number of abortions. But James, I get your point. I I I, I see it. Well, I'll just leave it at that. Tom in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hey, thank you for being the singular voice of reason and fighting the good fight. Please keep it up. Thank you. I'll do my but, best. Uh, thank you. But what I really wanted to mention was a lot of people aren't realizing the whole thing up in Maine about religious schools getting funding. Under equal protection under the law, wouldn't that mean that um, Muslim schools could apply for federal funding and Buddhist schools and schools of anything you want? I'm waiting for the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster to start opening schools. You know, maybe yeah, well, I could send was, my grandkids there. There, there was a guy who opened up a after elementary school Satanist class just to get back at the what the Republicans were doing in one state. Yeah, that was... Go ahead. I'm sorry, doesn't this open up a circular firing squad unless they gut the whole thing and say, no, only Christian schools, and then they're getting equal protection under the law? Yeah, I, you know, it's entirely possible, and, and you know, we'll have to see how this all plays out and whether they're going to start freaking out when you start seeing madrasas being funded with federal and state dollars. Frankly, I'm guessing that they're perfectly willing to accept that. And I doubt that the Church of Satan is going to exploit this. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Anita Hill's new book, Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence. This is from Chapter 4, The Myth of the Woke Generation. On October 17th, sitting at my desk reading through some of the many stories being shared under the banner of Me Too, I felt a sense of deja vu. A similar groundswell of outrage and activism had followed the Clarence Thomas hearings in 1991, and many believed it would be a turning point that sexual harassment and assault would finally be taken seriously by society and the courts. We all hoped that the reports of long-standing abuses in Hollywood and other industries and the flood of stories they unleashed would usher in a period of reckoning. All seemed to agree. Time was up, needed to be up, for sexism and its insidious chokehold on everyone's lives. Yet despite the progress made over the past few years, it's become apparent that the reckoning that had, has materialized has in no way matched the volume of complaints. And disappointment is mounting in those who expected Me Too to be the wake-up call our government needed to address gender-based violence. The truth is I'm not surprised. History has taught me that it'll take more than mere testimony to solve the deeply embedded problem of this form of violence. The Me Too movement did accomplish something that did not exist before 2017. It broke open public conversation about the harsh reality and pervasive nature of gender-based violence. People around the globe, aided by social media and a broadened media landscape, shared stories of sexual harassment and assault that were horrific and familiar. It also prompted a more nuanced conversation about all that falls under the gender-based violence umbrella and how it creeps into our lives at an early age and follows us from place to place. No longer could one credibly claim that the abuses of few had stepped up to complain about in courts were fictitious or overblown. 
One of the most troubling Me Too revelations was how often and regularly young people experience gender violence. Survivors and victims of all genders described abuse that began when they were children and continued on a daily basis in our elementary, middle, and high schools, generational wave after wave. With participants of all ages, the movement made clear that gender-based violence has existed for generations in precisely the same forms as it exists today, and that it will continue to be the case until we let go of the persistent myth that one day a generation will come along that will no longer tolerate it. It won't magically disappear any more than pollution or poverty or racism or hunger or any of the other evils that are recurring features of our human experience. I remember when it was thought that the baby boomer generation would be the one who would put bias aside along with the violence prompted by prejudice and animus. We were the generation that criticized our parents for segregating housing, schools, and workplaces, and for tolerating glass ceilings and pregnancy or parental discrimination that blocked women's success. But though boomers preached love and peace, they largely ignored in intimate partner violence in our homes, sexual extortion on work sites, and sexual assault in our schools. It's no surprise that we have now seen prominent baby boomers, including actors, politicians, and journalists, exiting the scene in shame. It is true that Gen Zers and Millennials are more accepting of LGBTQ plus people, less tolerant of racism, and more likely to say that sexual harassment is a problem, according to public opinion polls. And optimists, me included, would like to believe that a new generation's thinking about differences will lead to a natural evolution of ideas and conduct in our colleges and universities, as well as our workplaces, homes, and streets. We cite promising surveys providing proof that a higher generation of Gen Zers and Millennials think same-sex marriage is good for society, that people ought to af avoid offending people from different backgrounds, and that online profiles that ask about a woman's gender should include options other than man or woman. We take comfort in statistics verifying that 91% of Gen Zers believe that everyone is equal and should be treated equally. We read articles declaring that because of these progressive attitudes, the youngest generation won't tolerate sexual harassment in our workplace. And thus, they represent our hope for ending gender-based violence. So we tell ourselves that we only need to wait for them to come of age or for a change of the guard, the tipping point where they will hold most government and workplace positions and can implement policies that reflect their progressive values. We also ignore the culture that the 20 and 30-year-olds of today grew up in and how it has shaped their thinking and behavior. Many millennials and Gen Zers may lean toward liberal policies and ideas, but a significant portion of them will not and do not. A 2018 Pew poll showed that only roughly 30% of both groups approved of Trump's job performance, and nearly 40% were not convinced that racial and ethnic diversity in the United States is a good thing. Big questions are yet to be unanswered. What political and social events will shape their thinking in the future? And will progressive ideas inspire action against gender violence? Or will younger generations prioritize other causes? More than polls, online activities of teens and tweens offer us a glimpse of how much we can count on a younger generation to evolve us into a society of egalitarianism. The book is by Anita Hill. It's titled, Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence.
We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 